Tonight, I thought um, I'm going to be preaching to the choir here, so uh, just bear with me. But I believe uh, God still does have something to say for all of us, yeah? And whenever God does something, it's, not, it's never by coincidence. It's all, there's always a reason. And I do believe there's, there's, uh, there's a reason why you're here tonight. It's not a coincidence that you're here. Okay, I want to start off by showing you this um, cartoon uh, that I came across a few months ago. Uh, I'll, I'll let you see it. Yeah. So it's funny. But, I'm, I'm <laughs> but unfortunately, it's a little bit too close to the heart here. Yeah? Uh, we all want change. We want our family to be better. We want our finance to be better. We want our church to be better. But very few of us want to change. Very few of us. We don't like change. And I'm not just talking about people who are comfortable in their role, you know, have a lot of money. And obviously, you know, if you're comfortable, you don't want to change, right? But you'll be surprised how many people who live in a less than ideal situation, they too don't want to change. A few years ago, well, many, many years ago, there was a movie called The Shawshank Redemption. I mean, if you have seen that, that's like the greatest movie, number one on IMDb, I think. Um, but... <laughs> It's, it's a great movie, and if you don't know the movie, in that movie, there is this character named Red, yeah? He's been there for many, many years, and he said, when you've been in prison for many years, you have been institutionalized, that's his term. You have been institutionalized. You know what that means? That means you get so comfortable living in prison that you don't know how to live anywhere else. So that's why a lot of people who commit, committed crime, they, they, they got out and they commit another crime because to them, going back to prison is not that bad. It's an environment that I'm familiar with, you see? See, a lot of people don't like change, even though the situation is less than ideal. So tonight, I want to uh, show you this powerful, powerful story. Yeah? It's written in the Gospel of uh, Matthew, chapter 17. This is a story that happened to Jesus toward the end of his ministry. So I want to read this for us. Hopefully, I know uh, you're going to get encouraged uh, by, this, by this story to want to do something uh, that will you know, propel you toward that 200 that Mark is talking about. All right, let me start from verse 1. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, the three best friends of Jesus, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. Now, I'm a Bible lecturer, so I, I always tell people, when you read the Bible, you got to read it in context. You cannot read the Bible out of its context. So when it says six days later, the question that you need to ask is, what happened six days earlier, right? So fortunately for us, Matthew recorded what happened six days earlier. This is what happened six days earlier. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Notice, from that time on, Jesus began to explain. To explain. That means every single day for the past six days, he's been telling his closest friends, his disciples, hey, I'm going to be killed, but don't worry. I'm going to be raised to life on the third day. So store that at the back of your mind as we go back to our passage again. So six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. 
as the man watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Now, I have to stop right here and explain to you, otherwise the next verse will not make sense. You have to understand, Moses and Elijah, these are the two superstars for the Jewish people. In a basketball world, this would be your Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan, all right? I mean, these guys, Peter, James, and John, they grew up trading their rookie cards, you know? Like, hey, you got Moses? Yeah, we got Elijah, you know? That's what they did. They were so thrilled, right, to be in the presence of this great, like, like they're in the all-star game or something. You got Jesus, you got Moses, you got Elijah. They're like fat kids in the candy store, yeah? So that's what happened. And then, this is what Peter said to Jesus, with that understanding. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, Lord, it is good for us to be here. This is, this, in today's vernacular, this is off the chain. This is cray cray, yo. Lord, it's good. You got to be hip these days. You know. If you want to communicate to the under 30, you got you to learn that, Mark. Okay. Lord, it is good. It is off the chain for us. We got to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. This is great. We should stay here forever. This is so good. I don't want to go anywhere else. It's like Jaden when I took him to Bali. You know, we were there for five days. Every day we, you know, we swam, you know, for the whole day. And then the next day, swam again. Jaden said, Dad, let's stay here forever. This is good. Yeah? That's exactly what Peter said to Jesus. Lord, it's good. Let's stay here forever. Now, a lot of the things that Jesus said, uh, they were not recorded in our Bible. The Bible said that. Otherwise, you, you, you know, there'll be too many, right? So I imagine a conversation that happened between Jesus and Peter at this point, right? Don't quote me on this. This might not have happened, but it could because not everything Jesus said and did was recorded in the Bible. I imagine Jesus would come to Peter and said, Peter, it's good, isn't it? It's good. I took you here, remember? You see, it was Jesus' idea in the first place to take them up the mountain. So I mean, you won't hear it from me that God is out to get you. You won't hear it from me. That God is for you. He is not against you. When Jesus came, he said, I come to give you life and life in all, in all its fullness. So, you know, it's good, isn't it, Peter? This is awesome. I know. I took you here, remember? I want you to experience this. You know, you are blessed. You know, seeing Elijah, seeing Moses, it's good. But, but, Peter, we can't stay here. I can't stay here. Remember what I've been telling you for the past six days. I'm going to get killed, but I'm going to be raised to life again on the third day. I came here to this world for a reason. The world needs me. The world needs me. I have to die for the sins of the world. We can't stay here. I can't stay here. And you can't stay here either, Peter. You can't stay here. You know why? Because you're going to meet a man in Jerusalem, and you're going to recognize this man. You're going to meet him. He's a beggar. He's sitting down at the temple gate. You would recognize him. He would beg you for money. And you would say to him, silver and gold have I not, but what I have I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And this man, Peter, who's never walked in his life before, he would get up, praise God, and he would turn the whole city on its ear. That's why you can't stay here, Peter. You can't stay here. 
Your job is too important. There's this lady in Joppa. She's a seamstress. She's very generous. Oh, she's so generous. And she's a member of a church that doesn't even exist yet. And she will die prematurely. And then you, Peter, you will go to Joppa and you will enter into her room while all the widows are crying and you're going to pray over her and she's going to be raised to life. That's why, Peter, you can't stay here. You can't stay here. Your job is too important. You're going to meet this guy. His name is Cornelius. He's Italian. He's Roman. But he's stationed in Israel. You see, and he had been worshiping the wrong gods, the false gods for the whole of his life. But he was searching. He was searching for the one true God. And you're going you're gonna to preach to him, Peter. You're going to preach to him. And he's going to be the first Gentile convert that believes in me. And the whole church history is not going to be the same again after that. You cannot stay here, Peter. You can't stay here. On the day of Pentecost, you will preach. 3,000 people are going to be saved. 3,000 people are going to be saved. And a few months later, you will do the same. And this time, 5,000 people are going to be saved. You can't stay here. You don't know what you're asking, Peter. You don't know what you are asking. It's good for us to be here. And I want you to be here. But we can't stay here forever. You see, the bottom line is this. We can't stay the same. You know, whatever that here is for you. And I'm not talking about physical location here. I'm talking about, Mark has been talking about capacity. You know, you can't stay the same in your capacity. You can't stay here because people need us there. People need us there. The church is the hope of the world. There are people in this area, in Riverville, Belmont, and its surrounding area, they're counting on you to change. They're counting on you to grow. They're counting on you to be better leaders. They're counting on you. Right? They don't have a say in this church because they're not here yet. But if they can say anything, they will say, come on, please grow. Please love me more. Please open your hearts, open your homes for me, please. That's what they're saying to you. So you can't stay here. You can't stay the same. You need to grow. I know I'm preaching to the choir. I'm not saying this because you're not growing. In fact, hearing your story, I'm almost embarrassed. I said, man, it's too late to change the message now. But, uh, you know. But I believe even as great as you are right now, you can still grow. Amen? You can still grow. You need to grow. The world needs you to grow. Yeah? There are dying people out there who are desperate for you to tell them about our beloved Jesus. The world is desperate and waiting for you to open this church door, to welcome them with open arms, to open your homes, open your heart, and everything. So I thought... Um, that's the motivation portion for you tonight. I think it's a great reminder for all of us. And every time I remember this story, I'm always reminded again and again why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I'm telling you, I will not trade it for anything in the world. Our job is so awesome. Our task, the ministry that God has entrusted to us is so amazing. This is the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. And I believe as you, you know, witness the changed lives that are happening in this church, you feel exactly the same. So that's why we can't stay here. We need to continue to grow. So I thought to end, uh, I'm going to share with you uh, a bit, something a bit more practical now. Five ways you can expand your leadership capacity. That's not magic. This is not a magic number. It could be three, it could be four, it could be five. You know, if I had more time, it might be seven, but I came up with five. All right. Five ways to expand your leadership capacity. And as Mark said, I love what he said. Leadership is not about position. Leadership is who you are. Yeah? 
at the lowest scale, you are leading yourself, right? You are a leader leading yourself. And then as you can be entrusted with that, leading yourself better and better, God will entrust you with more and more and you will lead other people. But regardless of your position, we need to continue to expand our leadership capacity. So these are the five ways. Number one, develop a bias towards action. All right, I steal this from the great Bill Hybels himself. You know, if you uh, want to pick up a book, pick up his book called Axioms. It's a great book. He said, you know, when he's looking for guys, he's looking for people who have bias towards action. You can't grow an organization without action-oriented people. What you're doing here, building a local church, won't get done. This just won't be built by hammock swinging, Netflix binging, pipe smoking, sleepy people. It's just not gonna get done that way, yeah? Uh, you need to have bias toward action. Peter, I mean, he's not the smartest of the bunch among all the 12 disciples of Jesus, but at least he was biased toward action. See, even at the mountaintop, he said, hey, let me build you tents. Yeah, one time Jesus was teaching and the crowd was pushing him. So he got into a boat and he asked Peter after, you know, going all night without catching anything, Peter, can you, I know you're tired, but can you help me push this boat out so that I can teach these people? So Peter did it. And then after, after a while, Peter, would you throw your net into the water? You know, when Peter didn't say, Lord, I'm tired. It's, it's not my roster day today. You know, I got a headache. Uh, he could have given all kinds of excuses, but Peter said, no, no, I'll do it. Because you asked me, I'm going to do it. Peter, you know, of all the disciples, I believe he is the one who has the most bias toward action. I hate it when people, team member, tells me, you know, tell me, oh, I got a headache, I can't come tonight. Man, I said, take a Panadol and come, yeah? Uh, we need you. We need you. Uh, I think sometimes we are a bit too, um, too easy to say no uh, when we should have said yes, yeah? You can't grow this church just telling people what to do. I have enough of those people in my church. Hey, Pastor Daniel, we should have done this, you know? It's like, okay, uh, not that I don't like feedback, right? I love feedback. Feedback is a gift, let me tell you. You should thank people who give you feedback, yeah? Feedback is a gift, I love feedback. But I don't want people to just say things. I need action-oriented people. I need people who have bias towards action. Mark, your pastor needs you to have this bias more and more towards action. All right, that's number one. Number two, improve your competence. The question that you need to ask all the time is how can I do it better? How can I do it better? Maybe you think, oh, I'm already skilled in my craft. There's not, nothing else to learn. Well, you can always learn to do it better. Right? Even if you're skilled in your craft, there are other areas of your life that you can improve. There are other areas of your leadership that you can improve. You can improve your communication skill. You can improve your listening skills. Do you know how to conduct meetings? You can conduct meetings be better. Yeah? Uh, you can learn to give and receive feedback better. I I'm surprised how a lot of people don't know how to give and receive feedback. You know, uh, I, many years ago I learned this and it's so powerful. It changed my whole perception perception about giving and receiving feedback. This guy, a friend of mine, his name is Roger Tan. He's a life skill coach. He said this, when you give feedback, give feedback with your heart. That means try to be in the shoes of the, the person that you're giving feedback to. Give feedback with your heart, but when you receive feedback, receive feedback with your head so you don't feel offended. So that you say, all right, 
let me try to be as objective as I can here. Receive feedback with your head, give it back with your heart. This is so simple, but it's so powerful. A lot of people do it the other way around. They give feedback with their head, and they receive feedback with their heart. They get offended a lot, yeah? And then they leave the church. They don't grow as a leader because they don't receive feedback very well. So improve your competence. When you improve your competence, as you get better, your team will get better. When you are better, this church will be better, yeah? When you are at your best, this church will be at its best. So you got to improve your competence all the time. Uh, after every Sunday worship experience, the SPD team in our church, they always have a meeting. We're mindful of talking to the guests and greet them and all that, but they stay back. Every week, we have like 20, 30 bullet points of things that we can improve every Sunday. We've been in the new building now for three months now. Every Sunday, I will receive this really extended email you know, to, from the way I dress, you know, what I said, spelling mistake in the, in the slide, everything, everything. Um, why? Because we want to honor God with our excellence so we can always do it better, yeah? Improve your competence. Number three, performance by freedom. This is another axiom from uh, Bill Hybel's book. Uh, if you, um, are man- you are managing a team, you don't know, man, should I micromanage or should I let, should I let them be? This will help you remember. Yeah. Performance buys freedom. If they don't perform, you gotta watch out. You gotta guide them. You gotta be, you gotta be micromanaging if they don't perform. Until they can perform, you micromanage. But performance buys freedom. You do it well, I'm gonna let you be. All right? So that's how you do it. Okay, improve your competence. Number three, become a supportive team player. What you are a part of is so much bigger than the part that you play. All right, I have a lot of team members uh, in our church, and I, I'm, I'm so glad to see so many people here tonight as well. What you are a part of is so much bigger than the part that you play. We are a member of Christ's body. This church is better when we play along together as a team. You know, uh, nothing breaks, I believe, the heart of a, a leader, a pastor, when you have uh, people with their own agenda. You know, people with, you know, because of their previous church experience, oh, this is why we've always done it in the previous church. Well, you can go crazy, you can be creative, but be a supportive team player. Play within the rules, all right? Stay within the boundary. Within the boundary, you can go crazy, but stay within the boundary. Make your leader look, look better, all right? You're here to make Mark look as good as he can. I'm not talking about physically. That can't be help. That's, a, you know, uh, but, but, to the rest of the church people, yeah? The better he looks, the better your church will be, all right? Make it easy for him to lead you. Make it easy for him to lead you. Ask him, hey, what can I do? How can I improve? The questions that he's been asking uh, all of us tonight, yeah? So become a supportive team player. Number four, expand your connections. Again, Mark touched on this already, so I I feel like I'm, I'm repeating here, but that's all right. Question is, who mentors you and who are you mentoring? People come to me all the time in my church, hey, you know, we we lack mentoring in this church, you know, Uh, we need to be mentored more. I said, what are you talking about? We live in, in in an awesome age right now, this digital age. You know who my mentor is? Bill Hybels. He's my mentor. Every year I go to GLS and he mentors me through GLS. Every book that I read, I become a better leader. He mentors me through his book. What are you talking about? You need more mentoring, right? If this church is not growing, it's not Mark's fault. It's all of our fault for not mentoring other people, 
Yeah? I mean, God has given you this sphere of influence where you are. It may be small. It doesn't matter. But the question is, who mentors you and who are you mentoring? Who's your Paul? Who's your Timothy? And as you mentor others, this church will be better. As, as you pass on to the next generation, as you trust the next generation, you know, this church will continue to thrive. Yeah? Expand your connections. And finally, number five, strengthen your character. Strengthen your character. This is last, but I believe this is the most important. A lot of church leaders today don't pay attention to this very much. Eliminate character issues while they're still small. While they're still small. While they're still manageable. What you do in private, if you don't want it to be discovered in public, you need to stop doing. You need to stop doing. You'll be a lot more effective leader when you take care of your character. All right? When you stay, stay within the vine, John 15, stay within the vine. Yeah, let Jesus be the one who supplies you with everything that you need. So that, I mean, you can't do it on your, by, by yourself. You can't do it on your own. You need to stay connected with the vine at all times. You know, when we talk about all this, um, you know, Mark talked about prayer. I mean, that to me is assumed. All right? For leaders, that is assumed. You just don't not pray. Okay, you gotta pray. Uh, sometimes people say, oh, what about prayer? You didn't mention prayer. Well, for me, it's assumed. You have to pray, all right? You gotta be on your knees all the time. Man, I'm telling you, for the past few months, maybe the last couple of years, I'm on my knees all the time. I feel like I'm a, you know, I, the responsibility is way too much for me. I felt like I'm, you know, uh, I can't handle it. So uh, the only way out is for me to just beg God, God, come on, you know, I need you. I'm desperate for you. So strengthen your character. Let the Holy Spirit transform you day by day. Walk with him, walk with him, you know. You can't produce the fruit of the Spirit without walking with the Spirit, yeah. Um, that, that passage in Galatians 5, that's not an imperative. That's not a command. It's an indicative. It's a statement. The fruit of the Spirit is, right? It's not something that you can produce on your own. The imperative, the command comes later. Walk with the Spirit, then the fruit will come. The fruit will come, all right? I want to thank you again for the opportunity. Lastly, I want to show you this video. Um, since we moved to our new building, we've had a lot of visitors. Uh, we have a lot of non-Christians coming in. Uh, and we baptized our first, uh, we had our first baptism two weeks ago. We're going to have another two this week and all up throughout the month of August. We're gonna have, what, seven to nine baptism, just the month of August alone. And I wanna show you one of them. I'm telling you, I'm not showing you this to show off, but to encourage you. Our task is so important. The world needs us. People like Ankush that you're gonna hear need you to be better. All right, let's watch this. Hi, my name's Ankush and I'm 21 years old. I was born in a Hindu family and spent my childhood mainly with Hindus. I was never interested in going to temple as other Hindus because I never understood the concept of what it was all about. But I was just doing it just because my family was telling me to do it. Even though I was going to temple every week and used to worship God in different ways, bad things were still happening to me. I got expelled from school for things I never did, but it didn't really make me stop going to temple and I was still worshiping God because I thought everything would be fine one day but only the worst thing happened and I lost my mom when I was 11. I felt like I lost almost everything. 
but my dad was always there for me. But I thought that was just the end of my life and I even stopped thinking about God. I lost the faith in him, the faith that I had because of the people around me. And the next few years were really hard for me and my family. After I finished my schooling, my dad asked me if I wanted to go abroad for further studies and I agreed because I thought I needed a different environment. So in 2014, I came to Australia and at the beginning, I was facing so many problems due to work and studies, but my friends and my family were by my side for the whole time to fight me those circumstances. And it's been almost five, six years that I didn't think about God and didn't even talk to anyone on this topic. One day, my friend Mehan invited me to her church, The Rocks. At start, I said yes straight away, but later I started having a really bad feeling because I never wanted to go back to that path again, the path of religion. After having such a bad experience with having God around you, I don't think that anyone can believe in God again. But I thought I'd just go once and will never go back, just one Sunday. So I went to The Rocks, but I was a bit nervous because I thought no one would accept me because I was from a different community and I don't even believe in God. But my experience at The Rocks was amazing. Everyone at The Rocks was so welcoming. I had so many questions in my mind, but Pastor Daniel had answer for my every single question. He suggested me to read the Bible and I did that in hope of looking for the truth of life. And I was amazed that the Bible had everything I was looking for. Everything I wanted to know was there. I was then coming regularly to church and believed that God is for me and not against me. He loves me so much that he sent his only son to die on cross for my sins. I'm saved by his grace and he has forgiven me for all my sins and I believe that I will spend my eternal life with him. Since then, things started sorting out. I got a good solid job. Now, I'm not saying that I will not have any trouble in the future, but I know that no matter what happens, Jesus will always be by my side. I talked to Pastor Daniel about being baptized because I now have full faith in Jesus. And I know I wasn't perfect and I will never be, but I know that my Heavenly Father will accept me for as I am. He died on the cross and paid for my sins and now it is my responsibility to bring that faith in everyone's heart. Again, I'm thankful to my friend who invited me to church and brought me to this journey. I'm here to declare that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. He changed my life.